Pizza. Pizza. Django. What? Roman. Jeff. Merry Christmas Eve, guys. Oh, Merry Christmas Eve, buddy. Roman. Merry Christmas Eve. Guys. Uh, Eve Eve. What are you thankful for this Christmas? Oh, man. Um, well, you guys, of course, and comics Good. in the shop. And, Good. You know, this, this fine whiskey. Oh, yeah. Um, that was a lot. That was very good. You don't need to boast about it to everybody. I'm I thankful can. that Roman wears clothes almost all the time I see him. Yeah, almost. <laughs> I'm thankful that you keep me in line when I talk about what the waiver wire is and I'm wrong. <laughs> the waiver wire? I'm thankful that... Uh, even though he doesn't like being on video, Justin is the most charming, handsomest man I've ever seen on a video. Oh, God. I, I have to watch that video just to see which, which stuff got used. It's so good. I'm thankful that uh, Colette is uh, a lot nicer than she pretends to be at me. Yeah. Uh, I'm thankful that... Yeah, she pretends to hate you. Oh, I know. it. I love it. <laughs> I love it. Uh, I'm thankful that Braden... Is just some sort of robot. Yeah. You can't even throw that guy for a loop. I got to get into his programming and switch a one and a zero to, oh, yeah. to even slow him down. Oh, yeah. Masterful. Oh, yeah. Thankful that Sarah's on board to be on board. Uh-huh. And uh, really nice to have a New York accent around here. I, for a change. I appreciate that as well. Um, I'm thankful that Ashton is uh, nine and a half feet tall. Oh. And and knows more about what's going on here than most anybody. Uh, Ashton Ashton sees into the heart of the comic store. Oh yeah. And lucky for him, Roman's wearing a shirt <laughs> most of the time. <laughs> and I'm just grateful for this fucking haircut. <laughs> this is everyone. <laughs> Acceptable podcast. Episode 160, because yeah. episode 160 fell apart, everybody. Yeah. I, I'm sorry. Well, uh, Colette and Jeff and Andrew Carlson, front of the show, recorded an episode last week that um, we realized halfway through had lost a whole bunch of audio, and then it was skipping intermittently in the pieces that were there. Problem. Problem. So we just put the Matthew Rosenberg up uh, interview up instead. You're welcome. And I hope that you all enjoyed that one. But here's episode 160. And listen, it's Christmas time. It's we Christmas own and run a comic time. store, and there's no time to record a podcast at the normal time during no. Christmas time. No. So The only time during Christmas time that there is for anything is for Christmas. Yeah, so here we are on Christmas Eve day. Christmas day? Christmas Eve Eve. Whatever day you want to pretend it's it is. It's got Christmas Eve in it for sure. Um, We are... Recording this podcast about the comics that came out at some point in the last week or so. Yeah, I, don't, I, I have no concept up. of time. Nothing's yeah. coming out. We just last, know. last week's comics. Last week's the pre, slash the pre Christmas week. Yeah, you probably haven't even been in. It's a, it's been a busy week for everybody. It's been a busy week for everyone. Anyway, this is the biggest shipping week for comics this year. Yeah, and uh, so we've got a pretty jam packed podcast, and we should go fast. Probably we should get to it. Okay, let's talk about Doomsday Clock number 12. Let's talk about Superman Smashes the Clan number 2. This sucks. I hate what you're doing All right. already. All right. <laughs> we can talk about Batman Last Night on Earth number 3. 
<laughs> I was just trying to be Colette and kind of just, 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 just say it, it normal Django. All right. History of the Marvel Universe. Number <laughs> Skull, Digger, and Skeleton Boy, number one. Uh, Wonder Woman, Dead Earth, number one. Family Tree, number two. Joker Killer Smile, number two. Mountain Head, number three. Schlee. Schlee. God damn it, Django. Have you ever said anything in a funny voice before? Klaus and the Life and Times of Joe Christmas, one shot, I hope. Uh, the Rise of Kylo Ren. Kylo Ren. Does he? Does he do that? Well, he's got a voice thingy in his helmet. All right. Oh yeah, it's all fuzzed out and fucked up. Yeah, it's it's a weird vocal effect. Uh, and then we're gonna cap it all off, uh, Yule log style oh. with a Yule log sized Batman number eighty five. The end of Tom King's Christmas fire. Christmas fire. Let's get into it, everybody. Yeah, tell me about the big blue eggnog and what he's up to this week. Doomsday Clock number 12 by Jeff Johns and Gary Frank, September of 2017. <laughs> um, you can listen to the podcast. We did an episode about most of these issues, and it was a long yeah. time ago. It was probably within the first 20 or something. Um, <laughs> of the podcast? Yeah. Um, it, w- it started two years ago this week. Oh, I thought it was September. No, it, it came out in December, right? The podcast? I don't know. I, I thought I looked it up and it said like September, but no, I could be so. looking. I, I, I looked know. up a lot of series dates also in the last bit of time. Um, but this thing is over now. And it did not end, as we had surmised, with Superman punching Dr. Manhattan in the face in space. No, they didn't even go to space. They just but it got pretty close. punched on Earth. <laughs> what did you guys think of this issue, everybody? It's done. This it came it finished up on the same week that the Watchmen television series finished up. What, and uh, he stuck the landing. Yeah. I, I I think that he stuck the landing on this. I thought I thought going into this issue, I was like, "There's no way Jeff Johns actually pulled off making it making me feel like I, it was worth the four month wait or whatever it was for this last issue." Yeah, and I I loved it. I think I think he did it. I also loved it, Roman. Yeah, that was pretty amazing because I love I loved it too, <clears throat> and. It's it somehow jibed with uh, uh, Watchmen, this TV mm-hmm. show. I mean, I believe this happened and that happened, and the graphic novel happened, and the movie something else. Did it? Did yeah. that? Did it feel like it didn't mess up the continuity with the t- TV no. show or anything? Like at all? You felt like both could have happened. Well, yeah. listen, this yeah, week's TV- spoilers are sponsored by McAllen. McAllen, twelve year whiskey scotch Christmas also Eve. also by uh doomsday clock eggs or whatever yeah, yeah. but but like it, i don't think it contradicted anything mm-hmm. um in the same way that the the uh dark tower comics um clue you in right at the beginning of the comics that this is a slightly different version of the story and the mechanic of that whole overarching story is that um there are the worlds are repeating. And at the end of Doomsday Clock, um, Dr. Manhattan is it's basically giving us a breakdown of how comic book reboots work and how alternate universes and everything. He's like, oh, this happens and this happens. And five years from now and three years from now and next year this happens. And so I, I fully believe that one of those reboots is the movies mm. and the TV show and, you know, whatever. He's, he's able to restart a whole universe. And so it, it kind of is like canon fuck your canon yeah everything happens everything matters yeah nothing happens nothing makes sense um Th- that and also <clears throat> even this i don't even 
you don't, and that works, but you don't even need the reboot, I think, for I the, to apply to the TV show. Because the TV show's, you know, what, 30 years after the graphic novel ends, the original and graphic novel? kind of puts everybody back into the spot they yeah. were in. And right, plus, in Dr. Washington. Manhattan can be everywhere and any, any when at any time. So sure. none of that So let's get into some real spoilers of this. Um, I loved, like, this double-page spread that has <laughs> everyone fighting really gave me Crisis on Infinite Earth vibes, the original one. Because mm-hmm. it just yeah. was like, wow, this is well drawn and we've just got kind of everybody is here. It, it really felt like Gary Frank had some sort of a feeling that he needs to put every hero in it. And there's a couple pages where that happens. Um, I thought there was a really eloquent, just um, end of time thing. Dr. Manhattan, everything ends and we just sort of fade into black uh, which I just realized is interesting. There's 12 vertical panels that then lead into that, like the hours yeah. of a clock. Uh, and then we get a single full page of black ink and then a nine-panel grid of black ink. Well, I'm DC curious, had to use the ink up before the end of the year. That's very clever. <laughs> How long did you stare at this double page? Uh, probably about one-tenth as long as you did. Yeah. If, Roman? If I, were... I flipped past it pretty quick. I was okay. like, oh, black, black, okay. okay. <laughs> How about you, Jeff? I... Did you stare into the void? Man, that's just what I do with comics, I man. Know. I just try to sit there and feel it. Like, why would this be black? Like, let's try and really feel the nothingness here. We got a nine panel grid. Let's feel the idea of taking the metaphor of what comics is, the nine panel grid, and put nothingness there. Uh-huh. And really feel, try to really feel the absence of all things that matter. I was and waiting s- for a panel that said Dark Side is. Yeah, that would yeah. be good too. The slight irritation of the guy running the printing press. I just, <laughs> I love that. I love when comics play play a little bit with the form and I, I just really like trying to you know maximize whatever they're going for there yeah but as it came out of that nothingness all superheroes ever you know came out and or the justice society i guess um which it turns out is kind of the root of everything him moving the green lantern away from alan scott is what turned the world into the one that we've just read about and i think that that is really cool and worked really well i guess some this whole thing needs to be reread now, now that all of it is out. Yeah. But one of the things that happens is I sort of lost the thread about halfway through and why is Alan Scott and what does it mean to have the lantern moving? And a lot of, even just like the 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 Joker, Harley Quinn characters, Marionette and Mime. Right. You know, just like, what are these folks and why does it all matter? And all of it came together and was perfect. But I think that uh, reading it all together in a single sitting or a couple mm-hmm. days will we'll probably... Yeah. Uh, elucidate how really well conceptualized this whole thing was. I had forgotten that the comedian was plucked out of time as he fell. Yeah. And when mm-hmm. they when he plopped him back into the original Watchmen story where he's falling, I I really like the idea that this whole thing, this two year journey that we've been on in this comic all happened in the amount of time it took the comedian to fall fifteen stories <laughs> yeah. or whatever. Yeah. I I'm a huge fan of it. I think it was <clears throat> done really, really well. I think if it had come out in a more timely fashion, that would have helped a lot. Yep. But I I really don't have complaints about it. I think between Doomsday Clock and that Watchmen HBO show, mm-hmm. we got two incredibly high-quality pieces of fiction that exist in the Watchmen canon now. Yeah. And you know, I don't think we could have said that about before Watchmen super well or the animated movies or even the yeah. film adaptation. Like, I'm... I think that I'm very happy this exists. And I think kind of to to talk about this alongside the Watchmen TV show, um, I think you're right. I think that this is going to be better read in a 
in a chunk where mm-hmm. you just sit down and you you read this whole thing as quickly as you're you know able to comfortably but i think that the watchman show was designed to be have each episode watched and digested over time mm-hmm. so i really appreciated the fact that i couldn't binge the watchman show right. and i think everybody who has any interest in, in any interest in watchman or doomsday clock should watch the the hbo show and i would encourage everybody to give it at least two or three days in between episodes and just percolate i i guess like kind of the question that comes to mind is i think this did what i think it set out to do really well yeah how do you feel that it exists? Like we had the Watchmen universe and the DC universe touch. There are people who are like, fuck this for happening. Alan Moore, don't touch his work. I personally like that they're put out by the same company and we can now use the Watchmen to sort of justify how continuity shifts happen. I like how it seems like they're now going to be separate again. Yep. Do you think that living in a world where this has happened is a good thing? Like, we can agree that it was well done, but do we feel like it shouldn't have happened still? I think it was a good thing. It's uh, It was so clever what Johns did there, the way he used Dr. Manhattan and his manipulations to kind of make everybody feel like, okay, no, see, this is good. This is how reboots and everything happen, and it's okay, because these are all stories. Mm-hmm. Um which actually reminds me of the thing Jason Harris said in the last issue of Thor, his last issue. But it's just all it's just all a nice, like, these are comics. This is why they're really cool. This is why they're great. This is why it all works. I actually kind of feel, in a way, I kind of feel bad for Alan Moore because I wish that he could, like, Appreciate drop it. his issues <laughs> and watch the Watchmen show and read this series. Because I think if Alan Moore from, like, the 70s would enjoy these. I think so, too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. I I think that the the biggest thing that this Doomsday Clock series suffered from was kind of the meta narrative that was going on. Oh, it's it's super late. It's throwing the whole DC universe behind. Alan Moore's mad about it if he's even Paying logged attention. onto the internet in the last seventeen years. <laughs> um, and I think that all of that seriously kind of hurt the book and the the story as we were reading it. Mm-hmm. I think that if you can divorce this series from that garbage, I think that I think that it's a really, really well crafted comic. I don't think I would put it up there with Watchmen um, as like so intricate and perfect as mm-hmm. Watchmen, but I think that if you're gonna take something that well thought out and well crafted and smash it into big dumb superhero, which is exactly what this is. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that this is about as good as you could ever expect that to be done. I give this issue a 9.5. I put it sort of right there with the previous issue. 11 and 12, I think, really nailed this thing home. And mm-hmm. I'm going to give the series as a whole a 9. I think it's a really cool thing, and I'm, I want to read it all as a collection. And uh, I think it lost its footing a little bit in the middle, but all in all, 9 out of 10. I'll give this one uh, 9.5, and, and I'm going to give the series a 9.5. Yeah. I I had very few issues with it other than the 12 that came out. <laughs> <laughs> it's Christmas, butthole. <laughs> yeah, whatever you said. Uh, I got nothing. Um, I'll give this series a nine and a half, and I'll give this issue a 10. Go! 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 
Wow. Gagoosh. I loved everything about it. I love there being Earth 1985 now. I love the JSA being back and being the foundation of the DCU. Did you like the Thor? The Thor and uh, the Hulk versus Superman mention. Yeah, that was cute. Yeah. <laughs> uh, will you pass it. me some butter to eat this gooey duck with? Oh, buddy, I made a whole bunch of garlic butter last night to eat that and make that cephalopod go down real gooey. Speaking of cephalopods yeah. and Superman. Yeah. <laughs> uh, did you guys read Superman Smashes the Clan number two? I no. did. Oh, you did. Oh, you didn't read it? Roman no. did. No, I read it. Roman did. Roman knows what's up. A lot of things. There were a lot of things this week, buddy. Uh... I like this issue even more than I like the first one. I, 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 can, I can see that. I can go with that, yeah. I, uh, it, it just keeps following Superman hanging out with these kids and, and you know, the solving kind of the mystery of who the clan is. And the kids are saving their orphanage from the clan who's uh, decided to plant a bomb in there. And we get a little bit of backstory with Superman and his parents who look like straight up aliens in this. Yeah. Uh, in the first issue... Green antenna. Because it's set in the 1940s, Superman can leap tall buildings in a single bound, but he can't fly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he's faster than a locomotive, but I don't think he could beat the Flash. No, um, no. And in this one, he starts learning or remembering powers that he had when he was a kid because of his parents' influence on him. And so it's cool to have him like... To, to see an adult Superman, like a fully formed Superman, kind of learning how to use his heat vision and his uh, flying abilities. Yeah. Um, I, I thought that the, the power stuff was really cool. And just the, I don't know, the characterizations in this are fabulous. They really are. And, I, and I, yeah, I like, and I don't know, I still haven't decided if him seeing his uh, <clears throat> Kryptonian parents. Is actually happening if that's a, some kind of Kryptonian technology recording, or if it's a psychological thing that he's experiencing because he, when, as a kid, you know, he heard his parents talking about him being an alien, right? Um, and so he repressed his powers because he heard them saying how they just Paul wants him to be regarded as normal, and yeah. so they, he won't be taken away from him. And so he's seeing his parents as it, totally aliens, and yeah, and I like the fact they brought back the stuff like from the radio show. I think where he. To get around town really quickly, he runs across um, telephone wires. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> awesome. Cool stuff like that. So he doesn't know. He doesn't know about Krypton. He doesn't know. He knows he's an alien, but he does. I don't think he knows quite exactly how alien. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. Gene, Gene Luen Yang, and Gary Hiru are doing a really special comic here. I think, and I hope that when they reprint it, I hope they print it. There's a big option. Yeah, you know, like a large hardcover edition, because I would, I would buy that for a lot of people for Christmas or birthdays yeah. and stuff. This is this is going to go in my pile of like I have very few Superman stories that I want to keep and that I will recommend to people as just a good Superman story, um, and this this falls in that category. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think so too. The parallels with Superman's experience with the the uh, Chinese American family uh-huh. in the story, especially the little girl who's feels alien even within her own Chinese-American communities. Uh, it's all really well done. I love how he gives her his cape, and he's like, yeah, uh, you can have my cape. My mom made me a whole bunch of these. And then her mom makes it into a jacket that looks just like the jacket that she thought made her special and, and cool before yeah. they moved into Metropolis. Yeah, and I like the fact, I mean, <clears> it's it's 
cartoony looking art, but it's very it's serious subject matter, and even the their classmate whose uncle, his father figure, is the, like the leader of the local clan. The little boy isn't. He's portrayed as being a little boy who's yeah got these influences in his life and has done some bad things because of his his uncle. But he's not a one dimensional character. He's not just this racist little boy. He's yeah. he does it because his dad there's, does it. There's some subtlety. Yeah, he's he's like I didn't mean to hurt anybody or anything. Yeah. I think I think that is that's why this is so good. Yeah, because it's not just super polarized everything. And I think that when we talk about Star Wars, uh, help me remember to to mention this because there there are a couple little through lines mm, that I okay. think are are there. Holy crud, I forgot to... And I hope when they reprint it, they include the... Uh, text pieces? Gene uh, Luan Young's text pieces. Because I actually forgot to read the one, and so i got to take this back this time and Roman, read it. Roman, <laughs> like forgot you're to read a real textman. I am. Gosh, sure you are. <laughs> I give this a nine. Yeah, I'll, gi- I'll give it a nine. I'm really <laughs> looking forward to the collection, because I'm going to get that. Do I just like all-ages comics? Is that what's going on? No, you don't. History of the Marvel Universe number <laughs> six by Mark Wade, Javier Rodriguez, and Alvaro Lopez. This is the another book at its end this week. One of the most incredible things. I think this series is a total gift. Some of the most beautiful art I've seen in a comic book ever. Uh, it's going to be printed in a treasury edition. It's the entire history of the oh, Marvel Universe uh, with annotations up until now. Uh, Andrew Carlson, friend of the show, you know, sent me a text message and made sure that I had read this because it is incredible. It goes up to even like the House of X, Powers of Ten stuff. It's just beautiful. It puts a nice bow on that Franklin Richards at the end of time with Galactus sort of about to restart the universe. And uh, at the end, Galactus dissolves into energy and passes his helmet to Franklin Richards. And Franklin Richards will be the Galactus of the new universe. He's going to eat planets and shit. Who knows? Um, I, I think that the I think that what was has been canon is that Galactus was prematurely woken, and that's why he's a, a destroyer of worlds instead of a like a life bringer. He was the okay. death bringer. So maybe everything will go according to plan, and Franklin Richards will be a that perfected Galactus. On, on Marvel five G, but Marvel nineteen eighty five exactly. Uh, it is really like Roman. I know you've read all of the series, but this Kill issue, him. and it's just. I think one of the most gorgeous, like every page is an entire story in a single bit of art. Uh, it's some of the most incredible stuff I've ever mm. seen. And it's got a bunch of hints for stories that haven't been told yet. So the age of Khonshu, the interstellar raid of the half-breed, the rise of the outlaw generation, the Black King, the wedding of Tony Stark and Emma Frost. Uh, just a bunch of cool stuff. And I, I love it. Mark Wade is great at doing this kind of a thing. And uh, the art is really some of the finest stuff I've ever seen. So. Do you think those are actual story ideas that they have in the pipe? Or do you think that they're just things that Mark Wade's throwing out there as, you Like, know? the Black King is Null. Like, it shows the Venom symbiote <clears throat> Null right. god. Um, there's a couple other things that seem like where we're headed, which he could have just made up some crazy stuff. Um, and, like, the fate of Mephisto. There's a big Mephisto event coming down the pipes at Marvel in the next year or so. I do think that it, it is probably in line with some stuff that's coming out which i mean that's basically the end of doomsday clock then sure because they're like giving you these these peaks into other yeah other um, ideas that are coming up what's so amazing is just that like this kind of just encapsulates the last 10 years of comic books like 2010 to 2020 this issue and i worked here for most of that and it's really cool to sort of watch somebody fluidly take an entire decade of comic books and kind of do justice to all of them and give them like 
put them into the the, the Marvel history, you know, and put it in stone. And uh, I, I think that anybody who's read Marvel comics at any point in the last since it started would really like this. I think it's really one of the. I think it's a gift. It's a perfect gift idea to anybody. If you know someone who likes comics or read Marvel comics, this collection will come out. But it's just a love letter, and I I love it. I give this issue a nine. And I give the whole series a 9.5. I think nice. it's like one of the finest things I've seen come out in a long time. I'd like to see Mark Wade do the history of Jeffrey Figley at the Comics Place mm. in one issue. This guy did the art. Yeah. Just mm. be a lot of Roman and I sitting and eating food and Justin and <laughs> I rolling around naked. And, and your hair and just getting burping. longer and longer. Yeah, until it got shorter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, burping and shouting numbers at each other. <laughs> <laughs> did you read Batman Last Night on Earth, number three? I did. Scott Snyder, Greg Capullo. We talked it for just a brief minute about this in our YouTube video that you guys may have seen if you have not uh, any idea what I'm talking about Google the comics place on YouTube and we're putting <laughs> up some uh, some videos and you could watch Django and Jeff on the verge of having sex for about 11 minutes um, but yeah I did read this and it hit the palette a lot better than the previous two issues did for me I like this one better than I like number two mm-hmm. I think I like number one the most yeah. um, but but th- this whole series has been an interesting exercise in what Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo have kind of said is where where they wanted everything to lead to, or like the the end cap of their their story. Um, There's a lot of fucking entitlement in thinking that this is how Batman would have gone. Like you, well, if, you yeah. made some big decisions about the entire DC universe. Thank God you didn't get to write it forever. Yeah, Even if, though if DC let me be the the puppet master for everything this is what i would do fucking god we didn't um but you know this is so firmly in elseworlds category it's just big huge crazy things like the the pike with uh the head of dark side on it yeah that's uh i don't believe that for a second well it's such a great mechanism you know like it's creating the anti-life equation it needs to be grounded then it's being sent to martian manhunter who's psychologically projecting it to everyone on the planet like yeah some some pretty <clears throat> cool usage of the DC universe in here. And I do, dickhead Bruce. Yeah, you kind of knew what was happening the whole time. You're yeah. like, ah, oh, the real Bruce is going to be the guy at the end here, and we've got a clone. And um, I think that I would have really liked this series a lot more if it had come out at the end of their run, right before the New 52 ended. Yeah, um, I think I agree. that Scott Snyder's run was really, really great at a time where the New 52 was the only thing coming out. But the era of like Tom King's Batman has made me totally disinterested in the Scott Snyder Batman universe. Well, yeah, the Scott Snyder Batman was so cartoony and comic booky, and, but just like straight up, fuck you, this is a comic. Well, and Dower and Bruce, I think, was pretty unlikable. Yeah, and yeah. Um, it didn't have a great relationship between he and Alfred. I didn't really like the way that he wrote the Joker, especially when you compare it to like the last several years of the Joker that we've gotten. I liked his Joker in the beginning. By the end, I was kind of worn out from yeah. it. And like the, the ooky spooky guy, I've always like Joker is part of Gotham and he's always had poison gas in his heart or whatever that. I think the first three paperbacks me. of their <clears throat> new two run is pretty amazing. Yeah. But I, I, I think it all just kind of fell apart after that. And, uh, but I think that this did a good job. Even the art harkened back to the style of the original. Yeah. Um, and the colors are great. Yeah, I don't really get the deus ex machina at the end of, like, the Superman ship coming down and going to a different reality now. And It's a, it's a rule in the DC universe that every comic has to end with Superman's pod landing yeah. in a different place. Uh, I heard that it was written into everybody's contract. 
I think the whole like Joker living in a robot being his Robin now is like okay. Yeah, I didn't love that. I was really confused about how the Joker got the Robin mask on the inside of his head right. bubble. Right. Um, and they even talked about it. He's like, they oh, did. maybe I should put it on the outside. And I was like, fuck you. You couldn't even get it on the inside. Blood looks amazing, though. The, I mean, the coloring, uh, FCO Placentia and Jonathan Glapion, um, like, they're just that. I love he and Ryan Otley can make blood look like it's a liquid on a page. And yeah. it's like, I love it. I think uh, I'm kind of shitting on this. But you know what? I loved it while I was reading it. And I think that that's something that that Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo do really well is if you just put your brain in neutral and let them drive, uh, I I think they get you there. Yeah, uh, for sure on some of them. Um, And I agree with this one. I think that. I, I, at the beginning, I think it felt like two creators past their prime fighting to be relevant. Right. And uh, it still feels a little bit like that. But it is a fun Batman story that, like, yeah. if it wasn't touted as, like, this is two of the biggest Batman writers of all time saying their final word on Batman, you're like, that's not really what this is. This but. is your Dark Knight Returns? Yeah, exactly. This like, one? This one? Really? <laughs> all right. All right. The, like, the Speed Force tornado? Yeah. But I guess it makes more sense that Dark Knight Strikes again. Um, so... And yeah, I also sound like I'm shitting on it, but I would give this issue an eight. Yeah, I give it a seven and a half. And I'd give the series as a whole a seven. I think it's a uh, pretty good Buckminster Abbey uh, Batman story if you're into that. Buckminster Abbey, mm-hmm. Tower of Big Ben, the rosy red cheeks of the little children. I'd give the whole thing a seven and a half. Yeah. And Roman didn't read it because he hates those guys. <laughs> um, I don't hate him. I just I read the first one, I think, and I was like, yeah, I don't care. Yeah, I I I agree, and I don't. I, they came out far enough that I did read all of them, even in spite of not caring. So even on a busy week like this. Yeah. Yeah, and that was the other thing. I was like, no, nope, that's too thick. I got too many well, other dude, things to read. This week had the thickest books. <laughs> yeah. Clock is like three comics. <laughs> yeah, I'd really, really be one really selective. Dead Earth is a huge comic. Batman 85 is a huge comic. Uh, I read like... It's huge. I read like two and a half or three inches of comics on Tuesday <laughs> night. And then the next day, I looked at the comics I hadn't read, and it was another two and a half or three inches of comics. Before, dozens. Before <laughs> we get into Skulldigger Skeleton Boy by Jeff Lemire and Tonchi Zonjik and Steve Wands from the world of Black Hammer... Uh, Django, I'm so glad to be here with you two guys. I it's been a couple weeks since the three of us recorded a podcast. Yeah, it has. I fucking love doing it. But since the last time the three of us were recording a podcast together, you went to Nolans. Um and you brought several paperbacks with you to read, and we haven't talked about any of those. That's true. Did you read Ghost Tree? I did read Ghost Tree. Did you like it? I did like Ghost Tree. I don't think I liked it as much as you did, but it's hard to. It grabbed. Like, I wasn't aware that I had a heartstrings, but it plucked them. Yeah. Um, I've believed in your heartstrings for several years now. Yeah, go fuck yourself. Um, <laughs> See them laying around every now and then. I, I did I did really Stacks enjoy it. Yeah. it. Something about it just just barely missed my soft spots. And that was that one is like my soft spot. Yeah, and, and I kind of wonder, when, when did you have your first girlfriend? Um, Kelsey and I dated, we started dating in, when I was 14. Okay. And then we had a several year, like a two year lapse. And okay. then we started dating when I was like 16 at the time I was like 21. Okay. So like that was probably the, the, what, what your touchstone for that book. The age and Was like high school. Book. Yeah. Yeah. And for me, 
my first girlfriend was was pretty long term when I was like 14. Mm-hmm. And so my guess is that I have to translate 14-year-old Django into this high school girlfriend that the guy had in Ghost Tree. Yeah. And you have a much more direct line to that that emotional tug. Yeah. Um, but we both got we both <clears throat> got, you know, relationship skeleton in the closet. Oh yeah. Oh know? yeah. And, and and I feel like it's like a timeless sort of thing there. It is, yeah. Roman, you did you really read Ghost good. Tree? Yeah. I loved it. You, you yeah. loved it? Oh yeah. Yeah, no, I, he doesn't even remember high school though. That's yeah, the thing. He's he's only thirty six, but it's as if he's fifty. <laughs> oh. um, I uh, I was even I've been really excited to talk to you about that since then. So I'm glad you liked it. I, I enjoyed it a lot. Uh, I also read The Watchmen, Minutemen, and uh, Silk oh, Spectre. Yeah. I liked both of those way more than I liked them at the time. back in the day when yeah. I read them. Um, mm-hmm. Part of it was just because those are both Darwin Cook books, yeah. and I have a lot more respect and, and knowledge for his storytelling style. And why he's amazing now. I haven't read Laura. Dern keeps, keeps breaking, breaking up, up with me. me. Is that what it's called? Laura Dean. Yeah. Uh, it's it's on my stack this week. Just fucked my brain for comics. I love when Jenga so. goes out of town because he always brings some paperbacks with him. And if I left town, I would do the same thing. I just don't leave town. Yeah. Skull Digger and Skeleton Boy, issue number one from the world of Black Hammer. We all read it? We all read we it. We all read it. Jeff Lemire, Tansi Zanjic, and Steve Wands. Pages two and three are gorgeous. Yes. Whole book's actually pretty gorgeous, but I really like pages two and three. What do we know this artist from? I don't know, but he reminds me of Jorge Fornes. A little bit like Jorge Fornes and a little bit, a little more indie than yeah, Fornes. To I was me. wondering because, yeah, his name is not familiar at all. Like almost along the lines of um, what was that book that just came out recently, The Revenger? Um, Charles Forsman? Charles, For- Charles Forsman. Like some of the art in here seems like. That that kind of uh, outlaw underground style. Um, Looks like Lobster Johnson. Um, he did the cover. Oh, uh, did the art for Justin is a big fan of this artist. He did the art in um, that Edge of Spider Geddon book, the punk rock one. No, it was like the like the urban Ben and young kids oh, Superman yeah. Spider Man story. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Anyway, those are the the big highlights. Yeah. Um, the art's good. It's not great for me. But uh, the story is like a super fucked up dark. If Batman and the Punisher finally fucked and had a baby, yeah, and the baby was a, a bones wearing vigilante who stole a kid that he saved. Vigilante, no vigilante, stole a kid that he saved to have uh, to have a teammate. Um, I I liked it quite a bit. It's such a good uh, costume design on on. I don't even know the guy's name. Skulldigger? It's a yeah. little taskmastery or like mm-hmm. a, a little bit, but or like Punishery or like Ultimate yeah. University. Like it's it's and, and practical. A, but I was thinking what what makes it for me is the fact that the uh, the jaw has the illusion of being lower, so the mouth is always open. Because I thought to myself, I thought to myself, you know, if if his mouth was just closed, just with a light, a little black line, it wouldn't be as as evocative. scary. Yeah. yeah, it's evocative. Yeah. That was a great design. Um, super I, simple story. And that horrible weapon. Super simple story, and I didn't find myself caring about it very much um, until the final three pages. Yeah. And I think yeah. the the sort of bait and switch of that, of like this guy like rescues the kid, then he's the kid who's doing the narration is like, well, he was also, you know, I didn't realize at that time that he was the villain of the story and he'd be the first person that I killed. And I'm like, oh, cool. this is going to go a different direction than I thought. Yeah. And yeah, I, I was... Pr- Pretty interested in that at that point. Yeah, that's what got me, too. I was like, oh, wow, cool. So this is a totally different sidekick story arc. And it's in the world of Black Hammer, so you know I'm going to like it. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm glad that Jeff Lemire has the sandbox of the world of Black Hammer to put his action figures in and smash them around and shoot them at each other. It's bananas, like, how much this Black Hammer thing, I think... I think based on the success of it, he was like, whoa, I could tell any story I want in this universe. Like, it's 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 creatively liberating, I bet, for him. And I'm happy for him because he's told so many very different stories now yeah. through the lens of Black Hammer just because Dean Ormstein can't put the book out Yeah, I think he got regularly. sick during the first one. Yeah. And, and they were like, well, we have to put this on pause. Well, fuck, yeah. we have to continue the story. Right. So they did a new spinoff. And so they, they do it the it image way of kind of getting six issues <clears throat> out. Yeah, a year or a year and a half, and then he does these other ones, and it's just a totally everyone is totally different. It seems like, and uh, I think it's really cool that he's got almost that same deal that Kieran Gillen has at Mar or at Image, where they're or sorry, Brew Baker yeah. has an image where they're just like any book that you and Sean Phillips want to do, we trust we'll spread you for ten, the next ten years. Yeah, um, and I like that Lemire found his home at Dark Horse. I would give this one uh, seven and a half. Uh, I expect that it's going to get better, and I will probably end up with uh, higher than a seven and a half for the series. Every single one of these Black Hammer tie-in books have has seemed to go that way with everyone I talk to. Like yeah. they start out pretty okay, and then like with the last issue or two, it becomes a phenomenal book. It was like who's the fourth issue, the third or fourth issue of the, the Far Do- Future one, yeah, where the Doctor like, Solar or no, the uh, Quantum Age. Right. Up until then, I was like, "Fuck, is this the first dud?" And I got to that, and I was like, "Holy shit, this is so much better!" All of a yeah. sudden. Um, I would give this one a seven. Yeah, I'd give it a seven and a half. I'm looking forward to now, the rest of this story. Well, let's, hey, let's take a trip down a, a creative outlet for another oversized fucking book. <coughs> Wonder Woman, Dead Earth by Daniel Warren Johnson and Mike Spicer, Black Label, book one, probably of three. This is Daniel Warren Johnson who did Murder Falcon and... Extremity. Extremity. And I've always sort of associated him with a monster guy and haven't ever read one of his books. But I also know that every one of them has like a huge gut-punching emotional component. Yeah. And so I'm really excited. I was not excited to be reading this because I flipped through it. Similar to Roman. Like you flipped through it. Yeah, I looked at the art and I was like, "Ah, I don't know. I think flipping through it, the art looks like, I'm fine. But then when you get into it, it takes a couple pages and it's just like, you're, I, for some reason, not not you, but my brain like clicked and was just like, oh, this is perfect. Nothing yeah. looks like this. And I'm very excited for this tone. It made me really want to talk to Daniel Johnson about what it, how creatively it felt to be writing and drawing a book at this size versus a smaller book. Like, did, was he excited yeah. about it? Did he figure it was a chore? How, what are the artists feeling about using this dimension of a book? And I'd like to know from him, like, how much of this is a story that he's had without a Wonder Woman in it yeah. for a long time? Because this felt like one of his <laughs> other books, like a fully formed world that Wonder Woman totally fits in. Like, it's all seamless. But I could see this having been an image book that he wrote yeah. or had had the concept for and a lot of the drawings for and and then had the opportunity to... <laughs> turn it into Wonder Woman and and make it something that fits in the DC universe. Yeah. Um, one of my favorite parts was after the after the heroes find Wonder Woman, um, we discover that she's been uh, kind of in a, a tube, a containment tube in the Batcave. And she goes upstairs and finds Batman's skeleton on a couch with a bottle of booze next to him. And it's just this, this really, really... Kind of sad. 
it's sad when Batman has drunk himself to death. Yeah. Shit went bad. Yeah. And just this panel right here where he's from above, it's got his his living room and, and Bruce's Bruce is gone. That that was what when it clicked for me. I would say that was probably the moment that I got more excited about it too. Because yeah. at first it's just like, okay, we got some. Yeah, it it on the surface feel like kind of comes across as not being a super unique thing, and then as you're getting into it, it becomes very unique. So, I I was really impressed with it. It's this is my favorite Black Label book to come out. And yeah. before this one, it was the Death of Vic Sage, the question uh-huh. book. Um, and before that, I was sort of just Batman's on the dick. about any of them. It was yeah. your favorite. It was, yeah. I heard yeah. it was your comic of the year. Batman Damned came out and just sort of soured the entire Black Label thing for me. Yeah. And, yeah, it's been trending in a really positive mm. direction where at this point, this one's my favorite. Roman, I think that you would really like that, this. That's what I was going to ask you guys is how to – because my favorite so far is the Question series and the rest of the Black Label stuff I've kind of given up on. So, yeah, I'm really curious to read this now. Yeah, now that I think about it, Roman, I don't really associate you as a huge Elseworlds guy. No, not, not particularly, but because you're I read so, a didn't bunch happen. of them. You're don't so, like it. You know so much about <laughs> continuity and stuff that I could see why in the same way that maybe like Batman Last Night on Earth isn't super in, yeah. compelling to you, this might not be as well. Which is funny because I love the original What If. Right. The, the original Elseworlds. Yeah, I, I think that you would like this. I think that it is strangely compelling. Like... Everyone I've talked to about this person's work tells me their work is. And just so everyone knows, um, Justin and I approached this creator at Emerald City Comic Con this last year. And we told him that we have a 16-year-old kid who started working here who was a huge fan of his and has started drawing. And just apropos of nothing, he whipped out a bag and board and just started sketching on it. And just talked to us for like 15 minutes while he drew this picture for Ashton. And it just said, keep drawing on it. Nice. And he was like, here. And he charged us nothing, and he just gave it to us, and we gave it to Ashton. And uh, he is a really cool, really nice guy. And that, to me, always just tips me over the edge about a creator. Like, knowing that this is coming from somebody that is emotionally in touch and compassionate and kind with their time and creativity, um, very, very cool. I think I'm on podcast record. Maybe Andrew Carlson, friend of the show, can yeah. tell us for sure. But I think that I mm-hmm. am on record as really liking Murder, Murder Falcon. Falcon. Yes. Super Pun- effective and affecting comic. Yeah, yeah. I remember for when me. you read that final issue or whatever. Yeah. And um, and I wasn't tempted to go back and read Extremity mm-hmm. after I read Murder Falcon. Uh, I read the first couple of issues, and it was just a setting that I didn't care about much. But uh, after reading this, I kind of want to find everything he's done and just dump it into my face because this this was was real good. Yeah. Um, well, I'm gonna give it an eight because I really enjoyed uh, just sort of eight point five actually. Not a setting I super love, but anything that invites Django to take dumps on his face uh, is a thing that I'm a big fan of. I'm gonna give it a nine dumps on my face. <laughs> Django, spend some time with <clears throat> Jeff Lemire again. <laughs> Is that is that a dig? No, we just we just did a Jeff Lemire book, and now we have oh. an island of two books that you're going to talk about that are also Jeff Lemire. That again so. just sounded a little. Oh no no no! It's just that. Well, if anything, my tone was that Jeff, you didn't pick the flow of these books very well because we could have had all three Jeff I Lemire was, books in one. I was thinking I, that too. Yeah. So it was, if anything, a dig at myself for not thinking ahead. That's a good way to get out of it. I generally assume that if I sound negative, I'm being self-destructive and not trying to take other people down. What do you mean by that? Well, I don't like myself. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Okay, so 
I read Family Tree by Jeff Lemire and Phil Hester. I also read Joker Killer Smile, Jeff Lemire and Andrea Sorrentino. Uh, and both of those are number two. Both of those books, number two this week. Yeah. Uh, on your face. On my face. Skull Digger and Skeleton Boy, number one this week. Yeah. Right? And Skull Digger and Skeleton Boy, I thought was pretty good. I, it, it didn't hook me. Uh, Family Tree, number one, that came out a month ago. I read it. I was like, fuck, this is, I've read this. I've read this book. It's post-apocalyptic. It's kids hanging out with a shitty mom, and then the the kid's sick, and they find uh, a granddad that's obviously going to be the the gruff, like, hero guy, smelly savior. And then the Joker killer smile, which came out about a month ago, also by Jeff Lemire, number one, was a setup that was super similar to the Harleen comic. Um, just like uh, a psychiatrist, it's pretty sure they can crack the Joker. Right? Like, mm-hmm. good job. You gave me a whole black label book, a giant-sized thing. That What are you getting at, Django? That. What I'm getting at is that Jeff Lemire's number twos are what have been converting me lately. The number ones, fine. It's a, it's a perfectly acceptable setup. <laughs> the number twos have been the place that the plot turns. Mm-hmm. And the family tree this, this week, things change. You start really liking characters, and, and there's just this this shift in the book and it takes two issues of his books lately to click into place for me and tell me why I should be reading this book. And the same thing with this Joker killer smile after that first issue, I was like, well, I like both those guys. I like great art, great, great writing. I don't really like this comic. And I read this number two and I was totally sold on it. Art's gorgeous uh, in it. By the end. Yeah, the art's gorgeous. Mm -hmm. Same same team that is doing uh, uh, Gideon Falls. That is largely why I've been having a a hard time with Jeff Lemire. He's got such a large output of things lately. And I totally agree. His first issues kind of hit the palette immediately in the same way. Yeah. And then yeah. there's room for them to go drastically different directions as it goes on, but it's it's takes him too. It takes me people I care about being like, oh, read this one because it gets interesting for me to yeah. actually want to do it. And it makes me wish that he had done double sized issues on these, and probably like a double sized issue. I'll bet that by the the middle of the next issue of Skull Digger and Skeleton Skull Boy, Skull Donkey, <laughs> and Skeleton Face Boy, it's gonna it's gonna gel, and you're gonna be like, holy shit, this is why I like to read this guy's stuff rather than, oh, here's another Punisher Batman ripoff. Yeah. So I love this creator. Yeah. Uh, I've read almost everything that he's done. And just realizing that this week was kind of kind of enlightening to me that it takes two issues. And even in like Sentient, which came out from TKO, that you binge right, right. in issues, it, it took a second issue before I was like, oh, this is why this comic's different. I would say in the past... <laughs> And maybe it was because his first issues felt new uh-huh. that they hooked me more than they do now. Yeah, well, he's got he's he's really good at giving you here's the setup, and then here's the yeah. twist, and he's only got so many setups in his body, right. I think. Well, so what do you give these? Uh, Family Tree, I'm going to give a seven and a half, and Joker Killer Smile, I'm also going to give a seven and a half. I'm excited to read Killer Smile number two. Have yeah, way better than number one. Also, this variant cover, it's holy great. shit. Yeah, um, super good. Before we get into Mountainhead, and you guys take dumps all over Django's face about Mountainhead. Mountainhead. Jan- or Roman, I've, I see you've got a copy of Wellington up. 
and we didn't do it in the intro, but can you talk to me about Wellington at all? I, I can't. It, it was just sitting here because I don't know. Us independent podcasters need to stick up for each other. Wellington, Wellington. This is by the creators of the podcast <laughs> Lore, which is uh, a horror podcast <laughs> that is um, a big – it's a big deal. Did you like it? Because it, it strikes me as a Roman book. I, I did like it generally. I mean, I mean, it's kind of – I wasn't a big fan of the art. Um, it's that but, same looking art is like the Butcher of Paris, which is. you weren't a fan of, and it's right. like this art is in a lot of things. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's perfectly acceptable, but there's nothing really um, distinctive about it. That's the name of our podcast. It is perfectly hey. acceptable, but nothing distinctive. Yeah, a serviceable <laughs> podcast. <laughs> but the fact it, it's it's um, oh, what's this full name? Um, Doesn't matter. The actual Duke of Duke of Wellington. It's Wellington, actually Wellington. The actual I don't know what you're doing. <laughs> is that from a song? Doesn't matter. It's, it's late in the night. I know. I'm getting. I'm getting sucked into Django's a Django trap. Um, <laughs> it's the actual Duke of Wellington. I forget where historically this story sets up, but basically he's a uh, he's kind of retired from his military service, and he's called upon to investigate some mysterious happenings in the countryside. And actually, once he goes out into the countryside, that's that gets pretty interesting and atmospheric. Um, I forget what part of England they're in. They're in Yorkshire, I think, maybe. I read this a week ago. I'm sorry. He meets he meets a, a, a crow that starts giving him warnings, and it gets really spooky, and he enters this old tomb, and, and bad stuff starts happening. I'm intrigued enough to read the next issue. It gets attacked so by a wolf. So you will read the next Yeah. It did, it did yeah. have some of the, the trappings of, like, a new comic book writer to me, but I think mm-hmm. the final page had a, a reveal that made me want to know enough. But, like, there were instances yeah. of, like, yeah. I think that these people have done auditory storytelling much more than they've done panel-to-panel right. storytelling. Yeah, yeah, there's some good mysterious stuff. I mean, the next issue cover or whatever it is is very intriguing. And I like spooky stuff in the English countryside. Yeah, that's and, why it's and, a Roman thing. historical characters, the actual Duke of Wellington, I don't know why they decided to use him, Ancient but I'm curious to find out. And... Yeah, he was a scholar and a military like top military guy won a bunch of battles. What do you give it? Uh, at this point, I'll give it a seven. The cover is very good. The cover is very good. Um, I forget the other cover. I think for it was also pretty good. I think. Yeah. Um, well, excellent. Now let's take dumps on Django's face about Mountainhead. Oh, I was <laughs> going to tell you guys about Sir J. Wellington, but I won't. Sir J. Wellington. 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 Oh. That's, that's just... <laughs> Well, now I'm curious who Sergey Wellington we is. We don't your have fucking time. business. We're we're pressed for time, okay, sir. I'll, I'll, Jeff's ask, got I'll, I'll ask you outside of this. <laughs> you guys don't ever hang out outside of this. <laughs> well, no. You guys just this whole weird. friendship we, is we a used ruse. to weird. We used to go to well, we used to, well since I'm just kidding. You guys just went saw Star Wars together. I was just trying to say something that would make our viewers, Red Light, slash yeah. listeners, yeah. Yeah. Ever call since everything. Red Light didn't question. shut down. Well, yeah, since it, whatever happened that you don't go there anymore, <laughs> that's that's I why we don't hang out quite as much. <laughs> oh, that's it. Outside of this building. Outside of this room. <laughs> yeah. Uh, We're becoming healthier. Mountainhead Is number three room? by John Lee's Ryan Lee. I guess. Doug Garback oh, and Sean Lee. This is an IDW book. These weird little short <laughs> IDW series that they've been doing have been good, surprisingly Ghost competent tree, we and scary. About, and yeah, and Rhoda Bones, yeah. do you remember Rhoda Bones? Oh God, I remember oh, yeah. hearing about it a lot. Yeah, had a character oh. named Roman in it. Yeah, that's why you read it. I know. Yep. Um, <laughs> this is not what I thought it was going to be at all. I it's grabbed gorgeous. number two just just because I like the art. I, yeah, I, I totally missed number one. Number one came out on a week that you were not here, and then it was on a podcast yeah. that we listened to. And, uh, and yeah, you and got one of two. One of you guys told me to read it. Oh, I maybe it was Braden. I don't know, or, or Django. 
this this book is so like it's a kid who was kidnapped from his parents um and lived with a thief until he was like 12 or 13 yeah and then the thief got caught and the kid got returned to his original parents and he's having a really hard time adjusting and they're up in the mountains yeah because the guy kidnapped him always told him that i'm your dad yeah yeah so this kid is this kid's having a, a rough life uh and he knows that the dad did things that were wrong like the kid's not a bad kid but he's he's like a foster child in his own parents home mm-hmm. in like the, the hardest way that you can end up there um, yeah, and his dad raised his dad was super a conspiracy tragedy. conspiracy theorist too. Yeah, so the kid has this total like um, standoffish like distrust yeah. of pretty much everybody because of he's, his dad. He's living in this like I think like a high high mountain Colorado town or something, and so everybody's a little bit weird because they've got what they call mountain head. And, like, the mountain infects people who hang out up there too much. And the yeah. whole town is just a little wrong. Yeah, it's like what happened to... violent. Yeah, and, it's like what happened to Jack Torrance in The Shining. It's, yeah, it's a whole mountain town head. of Jack Torrance's. <laughs> yeah. and, and they're, like, all this fucked up stuff is happening kind of in the periphery. Like, just out of the corner of your eye, people are doing really <laughs> weird things. <laughs> yeah. Sound um, like you said, cornier eye. Cornier eye. He's <laughs> just fine, Jeffrey. Um, and this issue just kind of progresses that story. Things start getting weirder and grosser, yeah. and there's like more and more monsters. You're talking about uh, your old Jimmy John sandwiches? Oh yeah. Can you smell it? Yeah. More, yeah. Weirder and it. grosser and birthing monsters. Yeah. More, more and people the are freaking out. Avocados turning yeah. brown. They got some interesting anyway. stuff going on with the mom here. Yeah. Because she's kind of losing it in some ways too. That her son is back, but he's not like what she expected, which was like, Mom, I'm so happy to see you. He's like, I don't know you, lady. Yeah. And she's freaking out about that, which seems very realistic. It's yeah. a, it's a really good mix of real-life feeling drama from a screwy situation and then just straight-up skinless bodies screaming at people horror. Um, and the art is grotesque yeah. and but detailed playfully and distorted like yeah. a, like a really like Ren and Stimpy-esque fucked up cartoon show but like the painted parts of Ren and Stimpy not the super like <laughs> when it's zoomed down on an arm that's flexing <laughs> you see the flex of skin and hair yeah. growing and stuff yeah and there's weird stuff that you just see kind of like Twins Peaks ish or something where you get two panels that out in the woods this woman's hanging from the tree limb for no reason that's all you ever know or there's there's pack of dogs that are running all the town's dogs have gone up in the woods and have packed up and are running around. And why? You don't know. Yeah, I'm, I've ever since I heard a detailed conversation about the first issue, I've wanted to read this. Uh, it, it seems really, really cool. And it is that pocket. Like now I'm ordering like four copies more of most IDW miniseries. Yeah. Because they've consistently been good, consistently yeah. defied expectation and represented a unique viewpoint that's not coming out of like image or boom. Right. <laughs> right. I, yeah. I feel like uh, Dark Horse and IDW keep having these surprise really well done books um i'd give this uh god i give this like an eight and i don't know why this comic's so messed up it looks like a damage well i've got a damage copy here there is a damage copy yeah this is it um yeah i would maybe we have two or maybe (laughs) maybe that's it this one doesn't look as damaged as the one i read this one okay um yeah i'll give it an eight yeah this series has real really surprised me um it's very cool um, but Klaus, Claus, uh, the life and times of Joe Christmas, Grant Morrison and Dan Mora. He just wrote it down. I was so excited <laughs> to read this one because I think that like 
the first podcast ever on our podcast of um, perfectly acceptable natures. The first time two people were on a podcast, the mm-hmm. very first time, was the Christmas episode that Django and I recorded together and had the first one shot of Klaus on it with Spoon Liquor. Oh, and do you remember? Like we just had this disagreement, and you're like, "I don't like it," and I was like, "Oh, I love it because I love Grant and Christmas." And um, and people can listen to that dance. It's probably one of the first like ten podcasts we started in October, I think. And it, uh, yeah, and that's like that's a conversation that you and I have about Grant Morrison a lot. Like not it's it's not a consistent thing, but no, it's but a it, danger I, anytime we talk about Grant Morrison no, that you're nice. gonna love it and I'm gonna be unimpressed. It's with it. real. It's a real thing, but that that conversation embodied it so much mm-hmm. in such a perfect way that like I'm just it, it's never it's just like that's a thing. Yeah. Django and I, before you even worked at the store, I remember you and I just sitting behind the counter one day where you were just a customer <laughs> hanging out and just like you went on your your thing about how much you hate the intro and Arkham Asylum and Oh yeah. And I was like, Oh, but I love the and and even back then, it was a very, like, there was a very respectful, like, fine, you go ahead and like it. No, no, I think that I think that it was probably <laughs> one of your first, like, I don't know who this fucking kid is, but I guess I'm not going to shit all over Grant Morrison because he clearly <laughs> really likes him. And I was, I was like, oh, this guy doesn't care about Grant Morrison. Right. And we just talked about, like, yeah, I don't know. I, I like that was a, it's a memory I treasure. I remember well, exactly where it was in the old store. You um, and I handled that better than Chris Clow and I handled it, talking about Superman and Grant Morrison. Yeah, this is an entirely wordless issue. It is horizontal, which means you got to flip this thing on its side and open it up, which I hate. Like, yeah. Yep. Me too. That is just. I've only read one other comic that did that, and it was also X-Force by Grant Morrison. number nine or whatever? It was Grant Morrison's <laughs> yeah. new X-Men annual number one, where he yeah. introduces the character Zorn. And it's just incredibly off-putting. When it is all, every double, like, when you're opening up, like, a calendar, and it's just one single image, it's way more palatable, like this was. Yeah. It's yeah. just, you open it, it's like a calendar, and it hangs down. It's even meant to look like a calendar. It's got the little hole in it. And it's just oh. these giant, gorgeous images. Cool. And each one... It starts in the year um, 2001 with an, a guy who's 71 years old. And each page goes through the next day, December 2nd, but it's three years earlier. 1999, 69 years old. Next page, 1996, 66 years old. And we are just going back in time, image by image, watching Santa Claus, Claus hanging out with this old guy. And you just know as we move through it, we're going to realize some reason why this is happening. Yeah. And... It's just all of these wonderful Grant Morrison-esque moments, like Claus and this guy chasing down a bunch of British gentlemen on pogo sticks, or like the cover to Django's one of favorite comics of all time, Days of Future Past number one. Um, Back to the Future references, everyone taking shots at Christmas. like Just like adventures every negative three years that these guys had in December. And wholesome moments of family and caring. At one point you start seeing this old cat and you get earlier and earlier and you see like this cat in the background and you see that like this cat died. But then as we go back, we get to the moment where like the cat was introduced to the man. Um, it is, it's Jeff Bate for sure. And yeah. there's moments where like the two guys are standing on a cliff and a giant flaming figgy pudding is raining down, raining down <laughs> from the skies and they have forks and they have to stop it. And, but you get back and the kid, the old man is like de-aged to like teen and then a kid. And then you get to this, like the second to last shot or the third to last shot. And it's this kid being hugged by these, this poor family. And before that, it's Santa Claus outside of a crib at three years of age. And then right before that, the final double page spread is just, 
this Claus character that we've come to know through these different miniseries sitting on a church's steps, holding a baby with a carriage next to it that says, please take care of him. And Santa Claus did the Santa Claus thing and he gave this child the best gift and this old couple the best gift of a child being delivered to them and growing old and getting to have adventures with Santa Claus the whole time and just that's that's as Christmassy as a thing can be. This book threw up as many roadblocks as it really could yeah. for me. Like Grant Morrison's not a deal maker or a deal breaker for me. I read them all at this point just to kind of be able to talk to be Jeff able to talk it. to you about it and <laughs> and you know, I'm still trying to figure out that mystery. We don't have a lot of mysteries together. I'm still trying to trying to get in touch with like your love of Grant Morris. I'll, I could crack that code <clears> in a heartbeat. I don't want you right to. Now, I want to keep yeah. reading it. Um, and, and like you've, you've explained it before, it just never clicks for me when I read it. Yeah. Um, it's sideways. It's Christmas. It's Grant Morrison. It's wordless. It's three times the size of a goddamn comic. <laughs> and I approached it with like, well... And it's animal stuff. It's animals. Yeah, I, 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 it's all the things Jeff loves that Django doesn't really care at all about. Yeah, and, and like none of it is a deal breaker, but it's all stuff I don't like. It doesn't make me want to read it. And so I, re- I, I approached it with kind of a sense of duty, and by the end, I was a little bit teary. And there, it was so fucking good. I teared up too. I, yeah, yeah, like Roman, did you read this? You got I me. Mean, okay, Roman, did you like it? This is the first book I read last Tuesday. And you liked it? <clears throat> While you were downstairs printing the things, I yeah. did. I did. Um, it was my number two because Roman told me I had to. Read it. <laughs> yeah, we te- I texted about it. Um, I did, though. I cheated, and I I realized I opened it up, and I realized it was going backwards for some reason. I didn't feel like you going along with that device, so I went, I flipped to the back and read it. Ascending. That sucks. Coward. <laughs> I mean, but it's the same gimmick as that Batman yeah. issue two issues ago. But I like love the telling. Yeah. The, you know. Yeah, yeah, but I love all that stuff. I, I mean, it's, it touches every the Beatles base. Are in it, Graham yeah, the Beatles. The Beatles. Yeah, the Beatles. Probably the greatest band that ever lived. Maybe. But I love this page with the the World War Two and the cat is giant size for some reason because it could do that for a while and we see why it's lost its eye and. Ugh. It's great. Great if, stuff. If you like I love cats. the I love the gimmick of the cover in the advent calendar. Yeah. It was a lot of storytelling for what kind of amounts to a 30-panel comic book. Yeah. yeah. Or 31-panel comic book. And I, I like this because it's really – Grant Morrison lets his all pretense about being a high-concept storyteller out. And he just – he's a guy who loves Christmas in the same way that he loves Superman. But this is more high-concept, I think, than a lot of his other Klaus stories. Like, I agree. It I is. This, this one was – this one was super different. This was my favorite of all the Klaus books so far. I, I think that it's a lot, he's gotten to the spot where he's able to make it his own. He wrote Happy, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a Christmas story. It is. Setting Christmas. Claus. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he loves Christmas. Yeah. It's true. And I think it's in the exact same, you know, sort of why he loves Santa, or sorry, Superman, you know? Yeah. The dude loves purity, and he loves innocence, and he loves truth. Uh, yeah, he loves wonder. Yeah, he and does. I, and I think he, as him as a writer, he portrays that, he conveys that like in the same way Kirby did visually. One of the, I think he's one of the best creators that does that in comics. Yeah, your point was better than everything that I had just said, which he does. He loves wonder, and and that is the same thing that he captures in so much of his stuff. Yeah. And, that, and that really is what I love about it. Like he loves he loves the power of belief. Like yeah. yes, you could yeah. be cynical, but you could also be positive. 
and that's kind of the through line in all of his stuff, and that's what I love about him. You could get with this, or, or you, you could, could get, get with, with Superman. Um, I just want to talk briefly about Star Wars: The Rise of Kylo Ren. Do we get Did to we talk about the score? movie? Too? I give this one a nine, well, nine point yeah, five. Yeah, I, I give it a nine. Yeah, I'll give it a nine, yeah. Yeah, fuck. If you make me cry, you get a nine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know I walked back over to you and I was like crying. I was like, oh. But I don't know if you noticed. Um, Star Wars The Rise of Kylo Ren, Charles Soule, and Will Sliney? Sliney is the last name. And oh, then uh, Colors Slimey? by Guru FX. Um, did anyone else read this? No. Well, I'll just no. do a quick real shot on it. It ties right in with, uh, if you just watched uh, Rise of Skywalker and you're looking for a little bit more Star Wars juice, and you really like the Knights of Ren that showed up in that. This is the story of how Kylo kind of left the Jedi Temple after it burned down with him, his and Luke's business. <clears throat> and uh, going to meet up with Snoke and get hooked up with the Knights of Ren and ultimately become those leaders. The art is pretty terrible at times in the same way that like the Salvador La Roca art. Like it's just, it's so trying to be photo referency and real but also falling so far short of that that it's really the uncanny valley um but there is some real bad adam driver shots in this but there's also some cool I mean, art in it are there good adam driver shots he, <laughs> he looks uncanny valley to me like somebody described a person and, and, is, and yeah. almost nailed it yeah and, and that's but he's captivating like i yeah for me i first saw him in <clears> girls <throat> and he's what made me watch that whole show i i really like him because there's this unplaceable, implaceable quality to him. So, What do you think of his voice? I love it. I love all. Okay. I love everything about him. I all think right. he's fantastic, and I, I get why he's polarizing. This is um, going to be another Grant Morrison for us. He's just... Yeah. I, I think <laughs> that... I think if you were to watch the show Girls, uh-huh. he plays a character that I think is just him in real life. Okay. And that really helped me. I, to me, everything that he's played feels like the actor. Right. Kind of portraying an aspect of himself instead of playing different roles. And I don't know if that's better or worse for actors. Right. But there's a real um, humanity to him. So. I don't love Star Wars expanded comics. Yeah. I don't like Star Wars expanded universe, really. And uh, this is pretty good if you're riding high on Star Wars right now. I think that of all the minis that you could be getting or series that you could get, this is a really cool one. It's just going to be five issues long. You can get the copy that I read that is covered in fingerprints that I have to imagine Roman read, even though he didn't read this I book. I didn't read the comic, yeah. Um, yeah. What do you give this one? Uh, I would give it a seven, but I think that, like, I don't think you're going to get a Star Wars comic that's going to be higher than a 7.5 for me. Yeah. Just because I really love going to the theater and seeing the main Star Wars movies, but one step removed from that, and I just don't really care. Even those first few issues that came out back, uh, back I, in the old I store? I didn't get through two of them. I read okay. two of them. You know, I just... <clears throat> Can we talk real briefly, yeah. real light spoilery about... Yeah. The Star Rise Wars? of Skywalker. Yeah, yeah. Let's get like, into I it. think we should avoid. I have talked spoilers, about it so but... much in the last week, but well, let's get into it. Okay, just strictly related to that comic. Yeah. Um, and and a couple things that I heard you spoilers, say in the store. Speaking. Yeah, spoilers. We're if you haven't seen Star the Rise Wars. of Star Wars, Rise, Rise of Skywalker, Skywalker, I don't want to spoil anything big. I don't want to. I don't want to ruin anybody's day. But we're gonna have a casual convo right now. Though. Listen, the Knights of Ren are in it. Yeah. And I heard you mention a couple times today. Uh, to people, the Knights of Ren, mm-hmm. in what sounded to me like kind of a positive way. Yeah. I don't give a fuck. I think they look dumb. I think their outfits don't make any sense for fighting. And I think that that dude who has the big video game looking blade yeah. on the end of his, like, that he holds over his shoulder, 
just looks douchey and like somebody who I could beat in a fight even though he has a nine-foot blade. I feel the same about them as I feel about ring wraiths. Okay. And like, I think good that, job you made a you made a allegedly really scary character. Um, the amount of spoken backstory about the Knights of Ren that there have been gives them an air of of seriousness that you should take them with in the same right. way that ring wraiths do. I do like the way that they look, but I totally get not liking the way that they look. But yeah. I love Kylo Ren's mask. <clears throat> I love his outfit. I really like the way that they look. And I they remind me sort of of I don't really like Firefly or Serenity, but the Reavers. Right. Like there's a weird amount of like, oh fuck. Yeah. Like cannibal, crazy, dark shit. They did a really good job with that. Yeah. To me, the Knights of Ren are that. I feel like okay. they were super undeveloped in that movie. Right. But I think that one of the things about Star Wars is they don't develop things in movies so that they can be developed other places. Right. I think that they did that well. So I, I think that I think they're a really cool idea that hasn't been developed enough. I think they'll get developed in this comic. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would like to see a movie about them, but I, yeah, I mean they're like kind of a like evil samurais or something. Like I'm, I'm into that. Yeah, they just look like the kind of like the uh, douchey paramilitary guys hanging out in uh, like a a movie that was sponsored by the Marines. They actually remind me. me more of like Mad Max or something. They remind me okay. of people you'd see in the wasteland of Mad Max, like yeah. kind of like fucked up metal shit that's around their body that's been pieced together because they don't give a fuck like like the marauders yeah there's like this yeah. lack of convention to them that gives them an air of insanity or something anyway I, 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 there's something about it I like and I, I think I mentioned earlier in the podcast that I wanted to have a through line from Superman smashes the clan through to Star Wars you did mm-hmm. yes can we just get like hot takes on the movie real quick Rise of Skywalker Jeff liked it a lot he likes all the Star Wars movies a lot. He probably goes to see them in two times in theaters and then doesn't think about them again until the next one comes out. But uh, I liked it a lot. I, I thought it was solid. I watched it a second time and was a little bit bored mm-hmm. for most of it. Um, but, you know, at this point, this is what those characters have done. So whether you like the decisions that the writers made, just fucking forget that people wrote it. Just watch it as a story. <laughs> like what stories are supposed this is to be. Now... This is what happened. Yeah, uh, Roman. What do you think? I'd give it a six. Nice. I give yeah. it an eight. There was, there was, it, it for me. The story contradicted things that were lead, had been set up and were, but I thought were the story where the story arc was going in the first two movies of this mm-hmm. trilogy, and so I was disappointed in that. But you know, I had fun. The battle scenes were cool. And I totally. Agree. I don't care about Kylo Ren. Unfortunately, so unfortunately, and I don't know if it's Adam Driver or Kylo Ren, because I want to see Adam Driver in something else. I love Adam Driver, I love Kylo Ren, and I love Rey, and those two characters are like my favorite part about that Yeah, see, in this movie, Rey, Kylo Ren and Rey, Rey, I was bored with her, she seemed contradictory, and Kylo, I just didn't care. I totally (laughs) agree that it's contradictory, and and I think that that's the nature of like the fact that a second director came on, they were like, oh fuck, undo it, go back to the original guy. Um, Colin Trevorrow, oh, no, just kidding. But then as I was watching it, I was like, I think that the first Star Wars trilogy has that same thing. Oh, it it does. It was not written to be a trilogy. It was separate movies that, like, the only only one that felt like it was going to be a trilogy was the third one, because they're like, oh, we're going to make it a trilogy. Yeah. Um, One thing I like, well, originally they were all supposed to be well, Lucas's idea was supposed to be that's what three sets of trilogies. Right, that's, that's what, what he says. But I think that well, that that's what he idea, said in the seventies. I think that idea came even after the success of the original movie. Hmm. I, I, I mean, I don't know. We'd have to look into it, and I truly don't know. But you, yeah. But the to me, the sort of there's just sort of separate movies, and I don't know. I felt it was almost even more in line with Star Wars canon to have them be so disjointed. 
to right. me. That, but, th- yeah, that actually kind of <clears throat> did, because like this one, Rise of Skywalker, for me, was comparable to Return of the Jedi, which I thought was the worst of the original trilogy. So yeah. it kind of all fit together. <laughs> a pretty classic rad movie, right? Yeah, it's got terrible acting. I mean, worse than any of the Star Wars movies. Other, well, not other than Hayden Christensen. Return but, of the Jedi does, or Revenge of the Sith does, or Return of the Jedi. Okay, I just I'm not a Jedi guy. Either. I have lots of problems I, with that I movie. I really don't like. I don't know if we've ever talked about this, but I don't like Ewoks. Anyway, we got yeah, to go I don't like Ewoks. Stuff to do. Luke was terrible. Quick through line. <laughs> yes, Superman smashes the clan. Has oh, a yeah. bunch of characters that are gray. So like, not super bad guy, not super good guy. Right, mm-hmm. and one of my favorite reactions to the Star Wars movie comments that I've seen this week was somebody who said, "You don't have to love something or hate something," and so like there's this middle ground that you can have and it's for Star acceptable. Wars, and it's well, it's like that was a pretty good movie. Mm-hmm. It had problems. I didn't like some things about it. I like some things about it, but the internet gives us this hardcore. I fucking hated this, or I fucking loved this, That's and you're Trump's a bad American, person. My man. Okay, and in the Star Wars movie, there are a lot of parallels that I found between that movie and Trump's America, or you know, like America as as we have it right yeah, now. Just Internet America, like Internet America, and and like there's pre- there's a line in there where it that somebody says they win when they think that you're when when you think that no one's coming to help. Yeah, and and that is. Like I didn't know they had Twitter back then in a galaxy far, far away. Yeah. But that's that's what it felt like to me. Like the loud guys who are saying nobody's coming to help you mm-hmm. are the guys that are going to win that battle unless you can get those people to actually help you. And there's something about that Superman smashes the clan and the optimism and the gr- like like the the not solid bad guy, not solid good guy characters that kind of reminded me of that sort of outlook on the Star Wars movies and then in a larger way about the, the the national conversation of pretty much anything from who yeah. the president is down to a science fiction movie and, that's and, 42 years and old. And not to make it overly political, I said Trump's America, but I think ultimately it's <clears throat> Internet America where we have yeah. a whole bunch of nobodies arguing to have some sort of a relative relevant opinion online and the only way to be relevant is to have a very extreme w- section one way or the other. I fucking um, love Batman 85 and if you don't like it, you're Dumb. I fucking loved it too. Um, but all that to say, don't feel bad about having an opinion of neutrality. You can you can not love a thing and still like it, and that's okay. You can love half of it and dislike yeah. half yeah. of it. It's totally yeah. fine. But uh, remember that everyone's got a different viewpoint, and we should all sort of help <clears> and take <throat> care of each other. Batman 85, Tom King, Mikkel, Jan, and Jordy Belair, this whole thing is over. All right. I'm done reading Batman. Man. <laughs> they did it. They put a period at the end no, of the Batman. Not. Did you read the final three pages of the James Tinian preview? Nope. I read Me the neither, whole next issue, and I, I couldn't get into it. I was... Oof. I read it. It looks fantastic. <clears throat> Does it? No. I mean, I read it, but I, I don't... I so don't this know. is the end of the Batman story. It ties off the bow of Thomas Wayne and Bruce Wayne and why he's harassing him. It ties up the bow of Gotham Girl and Gotham... Um, it it ties it, up the bow of football in Gotham City, I, which I loved because I was like, I know enough about football now that I can follow. <laughs> this, I can create a visual message, a map of the entire game that's going on based on that. Yeah, it ties up the bow of Catwoman and Batman and where their marriage stands and do they need to be married and if they do, you know, what's the responsible way to do that? I loved it. It keeps Porky around. 
Yeah. He said but, that he was trying to decide for months whether he should do that in Porky's Bar or the Bat Burger family restaurant. Uh, Porky's Bar. Yeah. I think it's better, because, yeah. but I think that the the Bat Restaurant <clears throat> came before the Porky Bar yeah. issue, and I think that you know he probably has been thinking about it for a long time, and I think that's yeah. really cool. But that I was in his Por- outline. I agree Porky's Bar was the, the right choice. I mean, the restaurant would have been a nice symmetry, too, but yeah. having Porky's be kind of this, this long kind of gag through line through the whole thing was great. Um, I think if I have one problem with this issue... And it's probably a problem that I have with the whole series is uh, time jumps. Mm -hmm. We don't really know exactly when things are happening. And I don't even need a timestamp. I would like a before and an after, Mm -hmm. right? Because I got super confused. There's a a part here, spoiler alert, where Bane breaks Thomas Thomas Wayne's back. And when that happened, I was 100% lost and it, threw me off of the like I read the rest of the comic I didn't understand the rest of the comic I was totally baffled by what had happened when did you perceive that, that as it having <clears throat> happened I thought I, I couldn't where, figure it out where, I thought where does like Django I, right I, now I had it? the same problem I couldn't figure out I was like wait did this happen before Thomas a, a, you know the desert and with Bruce and everything or is it happening now after Bruce beat him when so I, I thought it's... that it happened while Bruce and Selena were on the beach and okay. and that's after Bruce had beat the the, the shit out of uh, Bane. Okay. Um, I personally think it's after the fact of all of this. It's after all of this. And it's Justin him in the prison, and yeah. Bane's been running okay. the prison, and they all respect him, so he can kind of do what he wants. And Justin was... pointed that out to me, and I was like, oh. And then, and then everything was just like click, 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 okay. click. It all works now. I had people bring that issue up to me as like, well, when did that happen? I was like, oh, I didn't ever even stumble on that personally just because yeah. they're in their prison outfits. But also there's so many time jumps. I, I agree the time jumps are a little bit confusing. And it was more of a problem for me earlier in the run. However, I think within this issue and the previous mm-hmm. issue, I think he's so masterful about emotional fluidity. Um, that he separated these beats in the right way so that you got closure and climax at the right times within a single issue and still tied things up. Like it got to end with the marriage stuff. It got to end with the family stuff. It got to end then at the bar, but it also tied things up in different ways. So Mm -hmm. I do think it's a little confusing, but I also think that his ability to kind of keep a lot of timelines in his head and sort of have things you jumped from those in a way that was never emotionally jarring. Right. And he needed to go to several different places to do that. So I was impressed by his ability to choose the right way. Yeah, it's interesting because I I feel like my complaints with bits of this particular issue are similar to some of the problems that the storytelling had uh, in in those the the last four or five issues. Um, And, yeah, I, I, I just... I would have liked a little bit of clunky before and after. Sure, and, um, and I don't even think that I, would I be don't super clunky. Need it, yeah. yeah like but it, it would have been nice. It, it, it would have lost nothing by doing that. Yeah, right. and and a more careful reader like Jeff, who notices that people are wearing prison outfits and can decide <laughs> when something is happening, uh, probably had no problem with this at all. I am not that guy, and I need somebody to kind of lead me around by the nose ring. I really liked it, and I also love the piercing, man. I don't know if we've done it on air yet, but, like, I love the sort of you came back from Nall. Nall? 
New Orleans. I love that you came back with a fresh nose stud. And oh, yeah. we can tug you around by it. Yeah. Uh, I liked I liked it. It, it was it, somehow he wrapped this up in a satisfying, a, way. a satisfying way. Like I said the last issue I needed this one to sort of feel it. There it is. Roman, yeah. let's yeah, roll and, the and, red carpet yeah, out. Yeah, and he rolled and he wrapped it up. Similar to Doomsday Clock in a way that makes sense for the characters and also progresses, gives hints of progression for the next thing. It had football. So it had football, which yeah, I didn't understand, but luckily Bruce I, said things to make to like explain it to me. It made me really <laughs> think about like the Swamp Thing Winter Special that came out a year and a half ago or two years ago, and I didn't know football as well as I do now, and the whole yeah. thing was a football game. Oh, you got to go back, buddy. I, 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 I excited to, but I I really loved. I could see how that would fall flat if you don't know football. Yeah. Not that that's even what you're saying, but I, uh, yeah, I really enjoyed the football component. What was there a, a component of that that I'm wondering if I missed? Because I thought that that was just there for to give no, Bruce no, no. some place to the whole have thing a conversation is with the guy. That, like we've got a team that's losing that we all want to win, and they're at the end of the game, and they're at the end of the football field and they're just trying to get it in and they fuck up their first they fuck up their second they fuck up their third and lose yards and go further back and the only way that they can win this game is by having a hail mary to have faith in something like to have last hope. chance do this crazy thing and hopefully it works because if it doesn't it's over and, and you lost the conversation ah, okay. as catwoman walks in the bar yeah. and we agree that they're going to have a relationship and there's no closure it's like he throws it and he says i can't believe it oh my goodness i cannot believe it and that, to me that was such a perfect way of doing that in a it's, dumb metaphor so, so the lady or the tiger it's the it's the can you walk on water or not okay. so the hail mary worked we don't know. You we think? don't know. Maybe. But I choose to believe that it did. Okay. Yeah, see, it did see, for Batman. See, until, until this moment, I didn't really know what a Hail Mary was, so that was all lost on me. It's just the <laughs> idea of putting all of your faith and all of your hope in one desperate action that has a large opportunity to fail, but if the slim chance of success happens, then everything is okay. Hmm. And that's cool. kind of what Batman did. He yeah. took all of the things. He said, like, Dad, I love the bit of in this issue of just, you're not my dad, which is... That's yeah. been the true thing throughout all of this is you're not my dad. Um, you're from another reality. universe. Yeah. You're yeah. the guy who yeah. lost his son. I'm the guy that lost my dad, but you'll never be the dad that I lost. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he's he's saying, I'm going to try to do all of this. And you're saying, I can't. I can't be Batman. I can't have friends. And I can't have family. And I can't have love. But it's better to live in a, a Hail Mary, a moment of hope, than it is to just believe that there's not hope in reality. Yeah. Man, see, I sure... I sure would like it if future Batman writers then, because Tom King really evolved Batman as a person and, and emotionally yeah. with this storyline. And I hope future writers keep that and don't just ignore it. Kind of like what Big happened to news because jo- Scott Snyder's yeah, coming cause, back. Because like Johnny Storm was evolved as a person when Annihilus killed him like over and oh, over and God, over. Oh, God, Jonathan Hickman. And then, right. and then everybody, and yeah, Hickman did that. And then afterwards... All the other future FF writers ignored that and returned them back to being old goofy jokester Johnny. Did you guys catch the Killing Joke reference? No. It's Is it, it's, it's, also, it's, was there also year one? Very, reference? very direct. I've been thinking lately about you oh, and me. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's and, the, and he's in uh, an interrogation yeah. room in Arkham talking to his dad. The only thing in, that's missing is cards. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a it's a very direct hmm. homage to that. Um, I right. would give. This issue. So are him and Catwoman married? 
they're married in their own words. Okay, like just, they believe that they're married. And they're, they're they regard it in that reality. Way. Yeah. Like Batman and Catwoman getting married, that marriage will never exist on paper. So they're Django matter. married. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Jeff and Django married. Um, but yeah, I would give that issue a nine point five. Like it didn't take my breath away. I think he nailed the landing. But I would give this eighty-five issue run a ten. It's my favorite yeah. Batman story I've read. It is eclipsed Grant Morrison's Batman story as as my favorite Batman run. Um, and that's a hell of a feat. That's a hell of a feat. So huge, huge fan. Give the run a ten. I can't wait to have it all in hardcovers if they actually print them all. I'd give this issue a ten, uh, just for being able to wrap it up in a way like nobody should be able to do that. Right. It like. As much as I love Tom King, I would say especially Tom King, who hasn't given me the the last bite of the meal that I felt like I deserved right. once. Um, <laughs> this issue did it. This issue completed that 85 issues plus he three annuals. He did it in a more difficult way. He did it with 85 S- issues instead of 12. Yeah. yeah which is, yeah. It makes it more impressive. Yeah, exactly. Um, I would give the whole series a nine- uh, I think it had some some slight missteps. It had some some places where it kind of wiggled out of what was perfect about the whole thing. But I, I would I can't think of a Batman run that is better than this. Yeah, uh, I've read a lot of goddamn Batman. Unless you can, yeah, I was gonna say like I, I could, Long Halloween, Dark Victory, Hush. But even that's not as good. Yeah, but those are like those are like. 12 issue yeah. those are those are graphic novels yeah. this is a run on batman that we haven't seen since like denny o'neill right even grant morrison I don't, he didn't do 85 issues did he uh he did six years i i it's over several it's pretty, series pretty I don't, close but it's not double ships so i'd have to count it but yeah um, but but this is an amazing package and that's what he said he wanted to do the whole time was i wanted to do something with batman that would affect him long term. Yeah. And I think the death of Alfred does that. I think the temporary wedding of he and Bat or Catwoman does it. Mm-hmm. But I also think that just the emotional evolution that happened with him, like you were saying, Roman. So I think it's interesting that your and I's scores are kind of the exact opposite. I yeah. didn't give it a perfect, but I, I think the run is perfect, and I totally understand what you're saying about the run not being perfect. Yeah, and, just from a from a difficulty level yeah. for me, I'm 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 grading it on that, yeah. and I'm real excited for Catwoman and Batman oh, just to yeah. see like what's he gonna do. Yeah. Because I hope he doesn't break him up. And Mask of the Phantasm is in it. We all got to get together and watch Mask of the Phantasm beforehand. All right. Oh, I would love to. I haven't seen that since it was in theaters. I haven't watched Sunset it in Square. 15 years. Score um, me, Roman. We got we got a voicemail. Oh, oh. Uh, we don't. Uh, we don't. We do? Yeah, we do. It's we only don't? 8.30. Which is <laughs> when I have to have left by. Oh, right. Oh, I'll, I'll give it a 10. Happen. I'll give the series a 9.5. A, a 10 and a 9.5. Yeah. 10 for the issue. I love it. I just wish... Dick, okay. I wish, wish Nightwing had been in it. Okay, I want to do this voicemail, so let's do it quick. Let's do it quick. It's not a voicemail. It's an email. Okay. Uh, <laughs> let, me, let me find it here. All right. Well, Sorry, I, th- I thought that, you had to leave at nine. Um, I got to be there by nine. Um, while he's finding that email, um, you can email us questions at info at thecomicsplace.com. You can also send us voicemails at 1-619-663-7336. I want to once again thank Colette and Andrew friend of the show for being on the podcast last week and i'm really sorry the technical difficulties prevented it from getting up um everything just fell apart there at the end thank god we had the matthew rosenberg interview to go up that week and not make us miss a week which we haven't done yet i would really like to next week get some year-end opinions from everyone that works at the store that we know and love that you all know and love and put that up we will be taking a week off of the normal podcast next week 
the January 1st week of books. Um, there's just not enough coming out, and everyone here desperately needs a break um, just because of the work. The podcast actually always still fun yeah <laughs> but uh but yeah just uh the obligations just uh people need to have a day off at some point here so we're gonna not do a normal podcast but jeff will be tirelessly trying to record conversations with everybody about their top five things that came out in comic books this year so look for that in the interim period Django, email email from craig mueller oh i love it Craig Mueller, who wouldn't sign up for a subscription for months and months, but came in on Wednesdays to get comics until we finally got him. We got him. Finally, we got down. you, Craig. <laughs> um, Craig wants to know, should the Star Wars holiday special be considered canon? Mm. I've got an answer. Is the holiday special the holiday movie or the issue that the came out this week? The holiday special was on the TV holiday special back movie. in the okay, yeah, yeah, like, yeah, 70s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, should we count down from three and I'll say our answer at the same time? Yes. Okay, three, two, one, answer? Yeah, yeah. Okay, three, two, one, yes. no. You <laughs> dinks. Yeah, well, go fuck yourself, Jango, because we have 25 years of continuity we all decided was not continuity, so. Did you guys, have you seen it? Yeah. Yes. Oh, gosh, it is I saw, rough. I saw it at Eric Cranebrink's house, another friend of the show. I met Eric Cranebrink's oldest friend today. Joe? <laughs> valuable content yeah. only right now. Okay, uh, valuable content. I say no. Jeff and Roman say yes. I don't think any of us can really legitimately <laughs> defend our positions no. here. My, my um, position is only that I love everyone, and I think everyone needs to get into a comfortable spot of making their own continuity. And that story was told. There are 20 years of Dark Horse comics that are now not continuity, and countless novels that are not continuity anymore. They are to me. And exactly. They are to all these people that read them. So there is somebody who watched that Christmas special when they were six, and that's continuity for them. Somebody read the Thrawn this trilogy. This is how they sing. Somebody read Shadows of the Empire. Somebody's reading this Kylo Ren series, and it's all continuity to me, baby. It's Christmas. It's all Christmas to me. <laughs> I guess for me, unless Disney is beholden to something that they said in that, I don't think it should be continuity. Well, and... And, and like... To be truthful, maybe they haven't contradicted it. That's fine. My, my then it could be. My qualification yeah. is the Boba Fett animated stuff is. I don't care if the Chewbacca and his family stuff is or isn't. Okay. For me, um, I don't, in my own personal canon, I don't consider anything canon unless it came out in a trilogy in a movie theater. Right. And... <laughs> And that's my own stupid thing. But that's why no, I've that's never been stupid. able to get into the comics. I've never been able to get into the books. My dad had autographed copies of Shadows of the Empire, like, for me, from the author. Like, I just, for Star Wars, for some reason, I was never able to care about a thing that everyone didn't watch. Like, to right. me, like, what Star Wars is, is that the, is the spectacle of it, is people saying, like, this is the movie, go see it. And everyone saw it, whereas the books... Only some people ever read those. It doesn't matter right. how much of canon it is. It's only canon if you read Shadows of the Empire, and that's a much smaller portion of the people that actually saw the movies. So it's all canon if you watched it. It's not my canon, but uh, it's it's yours if you believe it. It's so like Craig, Santa Claus. I guess, I guess what we're saying is you can make your own canon, which is a concept that we've mentioned on the podcast a couple times and, yeah. and something that I, I would love to drill down with you guys at some point on some podcast. To. I would love to. Um Splinter of the Mind's Eye, definitely canon. We've been working on some YouTube videos. Mm. I hope you'll check those out. I've been trying to post them on Facebook. Um, we've also, we, we did that Matt Rosenberg interview. Yeah. And 
we would love to do more interviews. Yeah. I don't know who we can trick into talking to us for an hour, but if our listeners have a have somebody that they would love to hear us talk to that is maybe like not necessarily Brian Michael Bendis level. Or Grant Morrison um, or Frank Quietly. I'm working up to those. Yeah. But like Matt Rosenberg is one of the top ten Marvel creators. Like yeah. he goes to the Marvel summits and stuff. Yeah. That's 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 a pretty big heavy hitter. So let me reframe it. Jeff would really like to get better at interviewing people. And he really likes doing it. Who can he practice on? And it would be a huge thing to Jeff to have the opportunity to do that some more. So if anyone listening to this has opinions of people they would love to hear me talk to with Django, sorry, that was very Jeff-centric, but it I, is it is very much- You can do them alone. I'm happy to be there. Jeff wants this to be a thing that he's working towards desperately uh, in the next couple of years. So if you have a creator that you want us to talk to, tell us. They're also, comic books are an amazing community where those people have Twitter accounts and email accounts and they respond to all of those things. So if you want to hear anybody on our podcast, if you also want to hear us talk to Matt Kent like Jeff does, send him a tweet. Say, hey, I love this podcast. I go to this store. You should talk to him. Uh, that would make it way easier for us to then send them an email and have them want to say yes, as opposed to being like, who the fuck are you? So, um, you would be doing Jeff a big favor. He doesn't ask for a ton, except for voicemails and emails. Um, but if you were to tell us about people you would like to hear us talk to, that would make Django make Jeff do it. And that's unfortunately <laughs> how it happens, because Jeff loves you all, but he's a bit of a coward. Um, so... I hope you guys listen to the Matthew Rosenberg interview. It's the only time I've ever texted my family and told them they should listen to an episode of our podcast. <laughs> nice. Um, and, uh, yeah, I hope that you liked it, and I, I'm really proud of it, and I'm really grateful that Django got it done for us. That's Jeff. <laughs> and I guess I've got to go meet my sister and my other sister and my girlfriend to have a Christmas Eve cocktails at Swim Club. Ooh, so uh, nice. they do a special Christmas thing. Roman, you want to go get Christmas Eve cocktails at Swim Club at the next table? Sure. Please, I would love that. You can sit at our table. I would love that. Uh, I'm Jeff. Um, it's been an awesome year, everybody. We're going to take a week off. You'll hear from us all in the interim anyway. But uh, happy Christmas to everyone. It's awesome to get to spend Christmas Eve with my two best buddies up here talking about comics like we've done 50 times this year. <laughs> I, I'm so glad that we're still doing this, and it makes me happy every time. So thank you all for listening. I'm Django. I'm real glad we got everybody up here and in here. And this is it. this is such an exhausting time of year, and it's so <laughs> gratifying. Yeah. Just in the store nonstop. I love the people who come in, who come in every week, and the people who come in who've never been in here before. And like, wow, this place is way bigger than I thought. <laughs> like, yeah, it's like three times deeper than it is wide. <laughs> Welcome. What do you like to read? And. Uh, yeah, I was going to say I'm Django and I get way too much credit for things in the wrong place, but uh, oh, I'll, I'll save that for another one. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff doesn't mind hearing it ever. I'm Roman. Yeah, this is this has been a this has been a blast. Yeah, this is a nice year. a nice little little alleviation of the Christmas stresses or whatever. Yeah. It's nice hanging out with you guys. It's awesome to hang out with you guys and talk to comics. As much as anything can feel like work, this never does. Nope. Except for the editing. Um, <laughs> thanks, Jim. You're welcome. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was 160, a week behind when it should have been. We love you all. That's 161 fine. will be next week. Thanks for listening. Happy Christmas to you all. And I bet I'll be playing New Year. some Christmas music as the outro instead of the normal <laughs> stuff. So you're hearing that now. Look at my butthole. Oh, God. Oh, God. <laughs> what a sentiment. 
eat my butt. Eat my butt. <laughs>